This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I think it's safe to say that we're in the midst of an economic storm. What do you think? Yeah. Sure enough. When this thing first hit, I was actually in India doing mission work. And I read about it for the first two weeks uh, via the Indian newspapers. And, uh, of course, in America, it's the American headlines that certainly that dominated the, the headlines here, the American uh, financial uh, collapse. But uh, in India, yes, there was a lot of stuff about the United States, but it, there was also stuff about the other countries of the world. And, and uh, it, it, there's an old saying that goes like this, when America sneezes, the whole world gets a cold. And uh, you saw that happening. It's a financial storm. You know the sad part? There's some boats going down. And that's the truth. I don't think any of us enjoys that. In fact, sooner or later, thank God many of us still have jobs, but there are many of us now who are looking for employment. I pray about that every single day, and I hope you do. Even if you have a job and God has blessed you and and you're kind of riding through this financial storm somewhat unscathed, I pray that you don't forget the people around you. That uh, for them, this is a huge storm. But sooner or later, all of us are going to experience some loss in this storm. And the title of our sermon series is Staying Afloat in a Sinking Economy. And uh, I really want us to focus on that because if there's any message I want you to get, it would be this. That the promises of God to provide for His people and the promises of God to walk with us through every storm and the promises of God to sustain us are not only good when times are good. In fact, maybe the promises of God are even better when the storm is brewing. It was Bob earlier I believe, who was sharing with a group of us in the back room as we prayed before church. We are a people who often find it easy to take things for granted. And uh, it's times like this that bring all sorts of sensitivities to the surface because when we feel least secure, we feel most aware. And so I'm glad you're here because I want you to hear the promises of God and I want you to understand the principles of God so that no matter how severe the waves get in this financial storm, that you and I don't have to sink to the bottom. And there are some things that we have to understand, some promises we have to rely on, things we have to build into our life so that that we can survive this. This morning, I want to teach you just four principles. And so let's jump right in. Principle number one is this. You have to float before you can navigate. Now, I'll tell you what, if you get a leak in your boat and you've got a serious problem in your boat, you set aside all thoughts of navigation, don't you? Because you realize if the boat goes down, no one navigates at that point. And floating becomes a very, very high, high priority. 
Next week, I'm going to talk to you about how to navigate the channel. And God has some wonderful, wonderful uh, principles that He teaches us about how to navigate the channel of life financially. But before we get into the navigation, we have to make sure that our life actually floats in this life. That's why the title of this message is Understanding What Floats Your Boat. Because if you don't know what floats your boat, you're going to be in real trouble. If you think something will float it when it actually won't, then it's going to go down. I want you to think about a a pontoon boat. A pontoon boat typically has a deck and it's got stuff built on top of the deck. But what causes the boat to float are large pontoons. Sometimes they're barrels, sometimes they're plastic uh, large plastic tubes, but they're pontoons, and, and they're and they're filled with air. But if you think that your boat is going to float, and the pontoon is not big enough nor correctly designed well enough to float your boat, and you put all that weight on the pontoon and it goes to the bottom, you're in serious trouble. You're not going anywhere, because before you can navigate and get where you need to go, you have to make sure that you can be buoyed up and supported in life and you understand what actually sustains you. Because if you build your life on something that eventually sinks, you understand the problem? Yeah. So this morning we have to look at this concept of what it is that actually sustains us in the storm of life. And so there's lesson number one. Before you can navigate, you got to float. Lesson number two, we're going to go to God's Word. Okay. Lesson number two is money tends to promise far more than it actually delivers. You have to know that about money. Now, here's something that all of us know about money. We like it and want some. Everybody on board with that? No, I want to say it a little bit more accurately. We like it and want more. You didn't laugh nearly as loud that time. But you know it's true, right? We hate admitting that we're okay. We'll get into that a little bit later. Money actually promises far more than it can deliver. In fact, I've just listed four things that money tends to offer, or it seems like it offers. I'm going to give you some words, and then I'm going to give you some descriptive concepts from those words. The first is security. And next to security, I want you to write kind of these three things. Money tends to, it seems to offer security in that it seems to offer us a sense of of safety. That somehow when I have money, and, and I have more money than the people around me, and I have money in a savings account, and I have money in CDs, and I have money in my 401k, that somehow I have this sense of safety that, that, that nothing can happen to me, and I'm okay. It also gives us this sense of well-being, that really everything is okay in my life. And one of the things about, about money is, A lot of times when I have money or an excess of money, I don't look at other areas in my life because they kind of fade into insignificance, even if they're not as they should be. Because I end up with this false sense of well-being. 
And then I also end up with a, with a, a false sense of, uh, in, in that I have this absence of fear. Because I feel invincible when I have money. Now, it's kind of easier for us to see when an athlete signs a, a multi-million dollar contract. You see their whole perspective on life change. And I'm sure that would happen to any of us. But all of a sudden, in fact, you will remember, uh, many of you will, a few years ago when Magic Johnson was diagnosed with, um, as HIV positive. One of the things that he said was, I felt invincible. Million dollar contract. Everybody knows me. I, I, you know, I've got fame. I've got fortune. I've got athletic ability. Nothing. What bad could possibly happen to me? Money looks like it offers real security, but it actually falls short of that. Second thing that money offers is this concept of self-worth. And in that is wrapped up our identity. It's very easy for us when we're, things are going well financially, it's very easy for us to see ourselves through the eyes of money. Through the eyes of what we own, through the eyes of what we possess, through the eyes of what other people will think about us because of what we own or because of what we possess or because of where we go on vacation or because of what we drive or because of the house that we live in. And pretty soon we tend to look at ourselves and get our identity from the things that we possess. Also wrapped up in self-worth is this sense of value or worthiness. Somehow when I have money, I feel like I'm worth more. In fact, we often use the term, what's your net worth? And everybody knows when you ask that, you're talking about money. We get those two concepts inseparably tied, especially in our culture. The third thing that money uh, seems to offer is fulfillment. Very easy to look at money for fulfillment, that I would have a sense of, of satisfaction from, from the money that I, you know, if I'm a miser, I have a sense of satisfaction by getting money, okay? If I'm materialistic, I have a sense of satisfaction by spending money. But in either case, it's really easy for me to get my sense of fulfillment and, and satisfaction wrapped up in money, which is why many of us labor over and over again under the under the misguided understanding that if I could just have, and you fill in the blank, what's next? I would enjoy life so much more. I would be satisfied. Guys, can you remember when you wanted your first car? And you didn't even care if it was a clunker. If it moved? Yeah? Yeah? So you got your first clunker and it wasn't very long until you looked and somebody else's car didn't clunk like yours did. And now you weren't satisfied with a clunker. You need something that was cool. You know, a chick magnet. I'm going to get a chick with a clunker. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, the sense of satisfaction goes away so quickly. Well, there's a, we, we can also feel like we can get a sense of meaning and purpose 
out of money. And it's just a false sense. The fourth thing is the, is the concept of happiness. That if I just had more money, I could be happier. I would have greater joy in life. I could do more things. I would have a much more light-hearted approach to life. I wouldn't have to worry about money. When I tell you the truth, people who have a poverty mindset worry about where they're going to get their money. And people who have a wealthy mindset worry about who's going to get their money. Either mindset, you're worrying about money. Yeah. So let's take a look at some scriptures in, in the Bible. The Bible says, Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. And if you stopped right there, you'd go, Okay, God's saying I can either have wisdom or money. Which would I rather have? Yeah, you don't want to say, do you? In your head, you would say wisdom. In your heart, most of us would say money. Now, I want you to see what he goes on to say. But the advantage of knowledge or wisdom is wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Kind of write this down in your margin. What you possess is not nearly as important as what possesses you. Now, God says if you've got money as your shelter, money possesses you, and you'll get obsessed with it. But if wisdom is your shelter, it will preserve your life because it will lead you to places that don't take you into bondage. But, per, but pursuing money will take you into bondage in a heartbeat. Let me read another passage to you. When you eat and are satisfied. this is By the way, this is what God said to the nation of Israel when He was going to lead them into the promised land. And they were going to take possession of cities that they didn't build and they were going to eat the grapes from vineyards that they didn't plant and they were going to eat the apples off of orchards that they didn't plant. Here's what God says to them. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied. And we say, oh God, stop the passage right there and may that be true of me. Right? We're like Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof. When his soon-to-be son-in-law says, Oh, Tevye, don't you realize money's the curse of the world? He said, May the Lord smite me and may I never recover. <laughs> That's exactly how we look at it. Now notice what he says. He said, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You know what happens to money? It's so alluring. So enticing. If we're not careful, it's so easy for us to have this sense of security that somehow money and prosperity is kind of all we need in life. Let me read you a third passage of Scripture. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. But guess what the passage really says? The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. While money, while money looks like it offers security, where's real security found? It's not found in wealth, it's found in the Lord. And the last scripture I want to read to you right here is watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want you to underline that last one. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I believe that most of us 
myself included, are living contradictions. There's probably not an adult in this room that hasn't at some point in his life said, you know, there's no real connection between money and happiness. There's way more to life than money. Money's a whole lot less than it's cracked up to be. We have all different kinds of ways of saying that, and we've said it. But our actions indicate we don't really believe that. If you look at our charge cards and what we actually spend our money on, we actually live as if we believe money does float our boat. And that is the, that's the truth about where we live. You, you know, money can get such a grip on us. You ever heard of any relatives who fought over a will? What's our statement? Where there's a will, there will be, yeah, relatives. Now, have you ever, yeah, right. <laughs> Have you ever known relatives to fight over a will because two of them wanted to donate it to different charities? Is that how that works? No chance in the world. We fight over money because of what we think it can do for us. And that's the reality. You see, we live in a delusional world in which either subconsciously or consciously we believe that it's actually money and things that float our boat. I want to challenge that thinking this morning. And I realize that, that some of us are probably not ready for that message, and that's okay. It may have to grow on you for a while. But I at least want to, I at least want to expose you to it. It's a very difficult thing. By the way, I'm not advocating a vow of poverty and everybody has to walk out of here and, and, and somehow give everything away or, or give it all to the church or whatever else. I'm not advocating that. But the bottom line is, it's so easy for us to end up ordering our entire life around money and not even knowing it. We have the option. Here's a job. Here's a job. This job pays more money than this job, but this job takes us away from the family more than this job. Difficult decision to make. And I've seen many make it the right way, and I've seen many make it the wrong way. Because, boy, it's hard to pass up that money. Because somehow, my, my boat will float better and easier if I have enough of the money. So that's principle number two. Let's go to principle number three. There's a connection between money and happiness. Did you know that? I bet you never thought you'd ever hear a pastor say that, did you? There is a connection between money and happiness, and I'm going to tell you what it is in a minute, but first I'm going to tell you what it isn't. But it's not found in possessing or spending it. It's not. In fact, I want to give you two words. I want to give you the word intuition, and I want to give you the word deceit. You see, why is it that we pursue money, and why is it that we can fall into bondage to money so quickly? And that is because we have an intuition 
somehow intuitively or innately we know that there is a connection between money and happiness. And we have pastors who stand up and say, there's no connection between money and happiness. And, and, and in our heads we agree with that, but in our hearts somehow we know that's not true. And I'm here to tell you, there is a connection between money and happiness. That's the intuition part. I think intuitively we all know that. But here's the deceit part. And the deceit part is this. It's, it's not where you and I think it might be when it comes to money. See, right away, when we think about the connection between money and happiness, if I have money, I can buy the things I like. I can buy the things I enjoy. I can go places I enjoy. I, I can do things that I enjoy. I can wear clothes that I enjoy. I can eat the kind of food that I enjoy. And I, I want you to understand that that little twist in and of itself is where we get derailed. And that's where our intuition turns into deceit. I want to read to you a couple of passages of Scripture. Take a look at them. The Bible, many, many places, talks about the deceitfulness of riches. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? In other words, you look at this thing and you think it promises something good, but it doesn't. And why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. God says, listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest of foods. Now, God is using a word picture of food in the same way I'm using the word picture of floating your boat. God is saying in this passage, why would you spend money on things that don't float your boat? Why would you buy food or why would you, why would you buy a vessel that's not, abs- that's not going to float in life? Now, when, when God was saying to them, why spend money on food that, that, that does not give you strength, do you think those people actually went down to the market and said, there's something that's not going to give me strength, I think I'll buy it? No. When they went to the market to buy food, they went there specifically to buy something that they thought would contribute to their health. It was before Twinkies were invented and all those things, all right? Yeah. And yet God is saying to them, if you look at it, you need to realize that in the market of life, there are many things that come in attractive packages, some of which will actually add strength to your life and some of which will drain the life out of you. And God asks a rhetorical question. Why would you go buy stuff that's going to drain the life out of you? But if you listen to me, God says, I will guide you to the things that will actually bring strength and nourishment and health into your life. So if I could appropriate that scripture, God is saying, why spend money for things that don't float your boat? But if you listen to me and you actually believe what I'm saying and you build into your life what I'm going to teach you, God says, your boat will not only float, it'll be on the surface and you'll be able to navigate it and go places that other people will never go and never be able to go because they're busy bailing water out of this sinking boat. Let me read you another passage. The seed that fell among the thorns. Now this is in Jesus' parable of, of the sower. And, 
he talked about a, a farmer that went out to sow seed. And in those days, you sowed seed by throwing it. You had a bag of it here, and you took it in your hand, and you threw it around. And, and he said the farmer went out to sow his seed, and some of it fell. And he listed four different places. Some of it fell on the path, and it was snatched away by the birds. And some of it fell among the stony ground. And, and there wasn't very much soil there, but the seed took a little bit of root, and it grew up. But because there was no real soil there when the sun came out, it scorched it and withered because it, it couldn't really take root down uh, in the deeper soil, and then some of it grew among the thorns, and at first it did really well, but then the thorns grew faster and it choked it out, and, and eventually it became unfruitful, and last of all, some of the seed fell on good ground and it did great. Now, this is the thorny ground, and I want you to see uh, the word picture that God uses here. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out. Now, before I read the rest of that, He's talking about people like you and me, people who come to church, people that say, okay, God, teach me out of your word. And so the word of God is sown into their lives. Now notice, but it gets crowded out by the worries of this life. What's the next phrase? The deceitfulness of wealth. And what's the last phrase? And the desire for other things. Does that describe our culture? What do you think? Unfortunately, it probably describes too well too many of us. And so what God wants to do in our life is either completely dwarfed or totally hindered because although we come to church and God's Word is spoken into our lives, it's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of the money we have, and the desire for things we don't have that preoccupy our time, and so God never really gets to do His work in our lives. I, I, I just want to challenge all of us in this week to say, okay, God, you know, our stock market has done a very significant value adjustment. Have you noticed? Okay? In our lives, perhaps God knows that money and things need to do a value adjustment in our heart. And what at one point maybe seemed to be a real high priority, God needs to put back in its proper place. Let me give you an important realization. Spending money doesn't float our boat. It actually sinks it. And by the way, I'm not talking about your bank account. Okay? I'm actually talking about your life. Yeah, it'll sink your bank account in a hurry, right? But the spending... How many of you have ever heard of retail therapy? Yes, I know, all the women. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Guys don't call it that. They call it tools. You can't expect a man to maintain this place without tools, can you? It's just the male form of retail therapy. So often when our boat is sinking and emotionally we are struggling in life, we think if I could just buy something, the, the world would look different. Sure it would. You'd be deeper in debt. Yeah. Spending money doesn't float our boat, even though we think it might. That's the deceitfulness of riches. So what is it? What is the connection? Let me give you that as we close. Here it is, number four. 
The connection between money and happiness is found only when we manage it well and bless others with it. Does that sound too simple? On the surface it does. See, you've got to be kidding me, Pastor. If I manage my money well and I give it to other people and I bless other people with it, that somehow I'm going to be happier doing that. I can tell you every happy person I've ever known is involved in some cause that's greater than they are, that's outside of themselves, and they sacrifice for its success. I have never yet met a happy Selfish person. It's oxymoron. It just doesn't happen. Let me read you a passage that kind of puts it all together here in 1 Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world. Show of hands. How many of you are rich? <laughs> Nobody wants to put their hand up. Very few, even the ones that have it up are like, eh? We don't consider ourselves rich. I know we don't. But we are. If you make $48,000 a year in annual income for your household, you are in the top 1% of the world. Now, if I'd started out by saying, how many of you would be satisfied to have incomes that are in the top 1% of the world? You think you could be happy if you were in the top 1%? Would you consider yourself wealthy if you were in the top 1%? How many of you would have said yes? Of course you would. You're afraid to raise your hand, but I know you would, because now you know the truth. It's important that you understand. He says, I want you to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. You know what that means? <laughs> it will not float your boat goes on to say, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Does he say, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment when times are good? No. The promises of God work all the time. Now tell them to use their money to what? To buy toys. No, to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. Now, I want you to look at the end of this. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience what? True life. Let me give you three principles out of this as we close. The first one is this. I think it's important that you realize that this was addressed to people who are rich in this world, and we are. If there was ever a passage in the Bible that was written to us, it's that one. It's got our name all over it. Okay. Second thing I want you to see is this. It warns us not to look to money for what it cannot deliver, and that is security. That's God's simple instruction to us. Don't look to money for security because I'll tell you what, that's an empty well. It's not, it, it looks like it has security in there, but it doesn't. And the third thing he says to us is this. It tells us that using it to bless others is what actually floats our boat. I know a lot of what I've said this morning challenges some of the basic thinking. It challenges every commercial you see on TV, except for maybe the, 
what, Children's Miracle Network and a few others that challenge us to give some money away. Most of the, of the commercials you and I see on TV are about something that, that, that tr- they're trying to get us to buy for us. And I know that for you to accept this teaching, you're going to have to swim upstream in the current of our culture. But I want to challenge you. I can tell you for sure that happiness is not found in floating downstream. If it was found in floating downstream, our culture would be all filled with happiness and only a few odd ducks who are swimming upstream would be really unhappy. But the truth is, if it was natural and it was easy, we'd all be there. And you wouldn't turn on your radio and hear, are you drowning in more than $10,000 of credit card debt? Just call us and we can resolve your debt for pennies on a dollar. You heard any of those? Of course, you hear them all the time. It's the sign of our times because most of us live in financial bondage, not financial freedom. And we're convinced that the answer to financial freedom is just having more money. And here we are in the top 1% of people in the world and we're looking at God saying, it's not enough. I think it's time for us to step back and say, guess what, God? It is enough. The problem is not in the amount of money I have. The problem is how I look at it and what I do with it. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the group of people you've gathered here. And and I know this morning that the message has really challenged some of, of kind of the pillars of thought that are part of our culture. And it's really challenged the values of our culture. God, I pray that you give us wisdom so that we don't fall into the same pitfalls that our culture falls in time and time again. Would you show us how to escape the clutches of the deceitfulness of riches and to take the money that you've given to us actually in such abundance and that we might learn to manage it, that we might find joy as I know we will and as you know we will, when we have managed our money so well that we have excess money that we can then begin to give to people and causes that we value without wondering if we'll be able to make our credit card payments. Father, would you show us how to live so that we might experience what you call true life so that we might find what really floats our boat. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.